Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Melissa Ortiz, the former Columbia national team player who's an analyst on Fubo TV's coverage of this week's South American World Cup qualifiers. We've had some great guests lately, including Tom Statham, Caroline Graham Hansen, and Matthew Hoppy. So check those out. Now, here's my interview with Melissa Ortiz. Our guest now is a friend of mine who is everywhere these days. Melissa Ortiz was a longtime player for the Columbia national team, including in the 2012 Olympics. She's serving as an analyst for Fubo TV's exclusive U.S. broadcasts of the South American Men's World Cup qualifiers, starting with a quadruple header on Thursday. She's also the co-founder of Kickoff Coffee Company, coffee for soccer people, by soccer people. Melissa, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Grant. Super excited. You know, when you asked me to come on the show the other day, I was like, are you kidding me? This is like ultimate goals. <laughs> I was like, it's about time now. <laughs> it's funny because like, yeah, we've gotten to know each other here in New York City. Um, you've been on my previous show at Sports Illustrated with Luis Miguel Echegaray when we were there. Uh, but I've seen you at our ro- rowing studio for workouts over time. Oh, We've yeah. watched games together at, at Smithfield, the soccer bar here in town. So I am totally fired up for everything you're doing and having you on the show uh, is awesome, especially because you're so busy this week uh, with the, the Common Ball World Cup qualifiers. Um, we're speaking on Tuesday for a podcast coming out Thursday morning. Thursday afternoon and evening, you're going to be doing this studio work, analyzing eight straight hours of South American qualifiers. What are you most excited about with this new gig? Well, on a personal level, I'm most excited for that it's going to be my first time on live TV. You know, I've since since I stopped playing and got more into the media space, I've done a ton of digital work, of course. Um, and then I've done live broadcasts, but digital as well. Now, this is going to be my first live television broadcast as an analyst. And it's that's obviously one of the things I'm most excited for on a personal level. I know I've worked really hard to, to get this opportunity and just get, you know, my feet wet. So I'm nervous, have butterflies, but like those really good pre-match butterflies that you get. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my my big excitement. And then on top of that, I mean... I'm excited for South American football to to just come back again after such a long time. And there's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts, a lot, you know, as you know, even let's just put in Copa America there, you know, this is all affecting everything. But just to sit back and really think about, okay, this is a step further into maybe the normalities of soccer again in the world and then step closer to World Cup. So yeah, there's some big matchups, some big players that will be playing, some big players that won't be playing. So a lot of things going on that I'm I'm really just grateful to have this opportunity. We'll get into talking about some of the specific things you're, you're referring to there on the field and even some off the field. But just in terms of the broadcast for Fubo, who are some of the folks you're going to be working with? So our main host is Julie Stewart-Binks who, as many may know, she has a heck of a resume across all sports, really. Um, And the funny thing is that we share a lot of friends in common. So when they were, when Fubo was thinking about bringing me on and I had spoken to Julie, she was like super supportive and um, she already had, you know, 
heard of me. And when we spoke, she was, we, we spoke on the phone too. She's like, no, you'll be a great, you know, uh, I guess coworker or, or teammate in this sense uh, for this. So we'll have her. Um, we'll also have Juan Pablo Angel, uh, former Colombian international player, as well as uh, River Plate, um, as well as Aston Villa, as well as New York Red Bulls in the yep. MLS. I think he played in the LA Galaxy for a little bit too, right? Briefly, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and we know each other as well, Juan Pablo Angel. We've met on a few occasions, uh, have spoken a few occasions too over the course of the past year. So that will be exciting. Um, Pablo Zabaleta, uh, former Argentinian superstar. Um, and then a, a few others, uh, Mark Gonzalez, and then some that are that are there, but I think they're like, figuring out the last logistics part of the virtual connections. But yeah, that's some of the the people that will be on studio. So it's a great, it's a great cast for sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, a really solid operation that is being organized for these games. And, you know, in my opinion, South America has the best World Cup qualifiers anywhere to watch as a neutral, if you don't necessarily have a particular team, in addition to being so important for the fans of the teams involved. What are the particular things you like about South American World Cup qualifying and maybe what makes it different than World Cup qualifying in some other parts of the world? Well, I wish I could be a neutral, right? <laughs> Look at this from a neutral standpoint, because every time there's World Cup qualifying, you know, like if you're Latin American, you are having like a heart attack for like <laughs> 90 minutes every so often throughout the course of the World Cup qualifying series, right? So for me, of course, being of Colombian nationality, it's always just like hearts racing. Are we going to do this? Are we going to be able to... It, it, like to best describe World Cup qualifying in Colombia and why you say it's the best, I think it's the best in the world, is because it's unforgiving. It's absolutely unforgiving. You know, you could play, you know, uh, Argentina could play against Bolivia. And this past time that they did play against them, Argentina came away with the win. But, you know, a team, a top team could play against Bolivia in Bolivia, and you're already facing the unadvantage that is the altitude. You know, you're 12,000 feet above sea level and Bolivia, who doesn't have your powerhouse superstars, will come away with a win or at least a tie, right? So it's just it's just things like these, these factors, whether it's traveling from, you know, top of the continent to bottom of the continent, from Barranquilla, Colombia, which is, you know, hot as heck, um, sea level, you know, down to maybe Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, all parts of Brazil, etc. So you're dealing with a lot of different climates, altitudes. And then on top of that, uh, the travel time, players coming over from Europe, majority of them. And then the best way to describe it, I think that would summarize it all is in Spanish is called la garra. So it's called garra. Um, and you, you know this very well. And even the Uruguayans are known as the, you know, la garra charrua, um, which in, it means you have that, uh, that all out just you do anything to make it happen you do the impossible it's that extra courage and that extra aggression to do the impossible perhaps even as an underdog as uruguayos are are usually referred to as so that in its sense is relatable i think not only just for uruguay it goes to the chilenos it goes to even you know colombians it's like it's all around just a full-on battle to make it to the world cup 
I mean, just so competitive uh, in, in South America. You, you have four automatic spots that go uh, to directly to the World Cup. If you finish fifth, you go into a playoff. Um, but it's a really long tournament, and you play everyone twice. So it's uh, you really earn it if you end up going. Um, as far as this, these two match days over the next week here, what to you are some of the biggest storylines of common ball qualifying? I say one of the top matchups for sure is Argentina-Chile. Um, mostly because, well, Argentina for Argentina and Argentina for Messi, right? Uh, this could be one of Messi's last chance to, one, qualify for a World Cup or perhaps play in a World Cup. Um, we all are hoping that it won't be, that he'll go on and play forever, but it could be. Um, in Argentina, Chile is always a, a big rivalry. You know, they have a long history of Copa America battles as well, um, where Argentina has been so close and has been through how many finals, right? Uh, let's just even say World Cup final that they lost, uh, two Copa America finals that they lost. And Messi has... It hasn't been successful with the Argentine, with the full Argentinian national team throughout his his career. So um, that rivalry in itself says it all. Um, and then just Chile too isn't in the best position right now. They didn't qualify for the last World Cup. They didn't go, and now they sit at six. So they have to they have to come away with a win in order to best better their position. Um, on top of Argentina, Chile. I'd have to say that Colombia-Peru is also a very important game, or Peru-Colombia, because Peru is actually hosting it in Lima. Um, mostly because position-wise, again, Colombia and Peru went to the last World Cup. Colombia sits at 7th, Peru in ninth, and they're not in good positions. Colombia, of course, is faced with a lot of one turmoil. You know, they have a new coach on board, uh, Reynaldo Reda who is looking to bring new energy to the team. He's a Colombian, like, local, um, not like the former coach Kados, who was not from Colombia. Um, but there's a lot of, of, of issues going on with the national team. James isn't on board uh, dealing with injury, but there was drama behind the whole James injury, too. You know, uh, I don't know if I should get into that right now, but... Yeah, I was, was going to ask you about it, like, uh, to the point where James even put out a, a press release expressing his disappointment in not being involved. So what happened here? From my understanding, you know, at Everton, James has been injured, right? So he has been in his recovery. Now, when he arrived to Colombia, supposedly he didn't arrive uh, at the time that the national team had said, come. Um, and then when he got his medicals, the doctor, the, the medical team just said, you're not 100%. You're not 100% fit. So that went into the Colombian staff deciding we can't have Hamas play. Um, well, that, you know, Hamas in Colombia is like the all on like celebrity figure god even. So that didn't <laughs> go well, not only with him, but with the people of Colombia. And so he then after after the sorry, after the Colombian national team put out their own official statement that they were taking him off the convocatoria, the you know, the list, the roster list, Hamas right after put out his official statement saying that he thought he was ready, that he was, you know, just I, he wasn't expecting that to happen at all. 
And so then Everton gets involved because they're saying they're pointing fingers. So it's a pointing <laughs> fingers show. And then Everton sends over a statement, I believe yesterday, and said, you know, we expected Hamas to be in, you know, 100% by Copa America. And of course, these World Cup qualifier games are just a few days before. So it's just uh, a lot of pointing fingers right now. And Hamas is posting pictures on social media, like saying that he's okay in full recovery. But what uh, the last thing that I, that I read and what Reynaldo Reda, the coach of Colombia, said was that, okay, maybe he's soon to be 100%. But even if you're 100%, you are not ready for Colombia. You need to be 500% to be ready for Colombia. So I guess that puts things into perspective of where they're at. And I guess things have been... I don't know. I guess things have been a little bit resolved, but there's still a lot going on. And just to be clear, there is no chance that James will be involved in Copa America? I don't want to say no chance. From the previous statements that they put out a few days ago, it, it seemed as though he was out for the summer. Okay. But from what I read this morning, uh, I guess that there is a small chance that he could be back for Copa America. So I guess we're all just waiting to see what will happen. Interesting storyline to follow there in Colombia with... The new coach having come in and made this very big decision for a team that's on the outside looking in right now in terms of qualifying in the standings. Granted, we're only four games in, so there are 18 games being played in World Cup qualifying, so they got time. Um, in terms of other topics, um, it has been a wild week in comma ball. Uh, we mentioned the Copa America. It starts on June 13th and just 13 days out, they announced the tournament would be moved to Brazil from Argentina after Colombia, which was the co-host had pulled out a few weeks ago. Um, basically all of South America is a COVID hotspot right now in terms of cases, uh, you know, by population compared to the rest of the world. What do you make of moving the Copa America to Brazil this late in the game? I think it's insane. I think it's not a good decision whatsoever. I think it shows Conmebol once again being as disorganized as everybody thinks that they are, right? They're just proving it now. Um, so late in the game, right? These decisions could have been taken sooner. Um, but... The reason why you mentioned they moved Copa America from first was is co-hosted Colombia, Argentina. Colombia dropped out because one, COVID, of course. You know, I have family in Colombia that literally just got COVID three weeks ago. It's, COVID is really bad right now. ICUs are full. It's not, it's not, we're in the same situation in Colombia, in South America that the USA was in a year ago. Okay. Now, when Colombia dropped out, not only because of that, but because of political unrest, protests against, you know, a right wing president that wanted a tax reform in the middle of a horrible economy and during a pandemic. So the people spoke up and protested. Now, that's the reason why Colombia dropped out. Then, of course, we just found out that Argentina had to drop out because of the covid cases as well. And they move it to Brazil, where I believe that they're the second country with the most covid cases or deaths in the world. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way of, of right wing or left wing or whatever, but right now I'm just going to say it, state it how it is. Brazil is very 50, 50 in terms of the support of its president of, of Bolsonaro. So, I mean, you have protests as well in Brazil, you have COVID and protests, which is the same exact thing that was having in Colombia. Now let's look at Argentina who were about to be 
the actual co-hosts. And now their ultimate rival is hosting the Copa America. So, of course, Argentinian players are not happy about it either. You're getting a lot of... Uh, uh, players, not a lot, but you have a few players speaking out against, you know, how, why is it in, in, in Brazil? So I know that they weren't, you know, going to host it in the U.S. as we all would have wished that they would have. But, you know, there's the, the, the relationship between Comebol and CONCACAF is another storyline. But you would expect at least in another country with a better um, situation, both on the political situation as well as, as COVID. And there were other options, but <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't know how this could happen. <laughs> kind of a crazy situation. And obviously the health of millions and millions of people is the most important thing. And, uh, you know, I'll watch the soccer <laughs> if, it, if it happens and, you know, and I'll enjoy the soccer probably if it happens. But I, I think very likely to not have fans uh, at these games, it seems like. Uh, I was kind of thinking it, it might go to Chile since it had a better COVID situation than other countries. But in the end, it's not. Um, and yes, it would have been kind of fun if the Copa America sites had been Orlando, Miami, and, and Tampa or something, you know? Would have been amazing <laughs> for us. <laughs> but in any case, um, it's still scheduled to start on, on June 13th. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your playing career. Um, in your career, you played more than two dozen times for Columbia, including at the 2012 Olympics. What do you miss the most about those experiences? Well, Grant, I have to be honest, there's not a day that goes by that, you know, I wish I, I, I was playing, honestly. And I've spoken to other athletes. I've spoken to other former athletes, whether they're, they were soccer players, whether they were football or basketball players. And they've told me, because it's a struggle, right? It's, it's just like a mental battle sometimes. And they've told me that itch never goes away. It will never, ever go away. And the thing that I miss the most is not just playing, but the camaraderie that you have about being on a team. Um, and when I left the game in 2017, you know, women's soccer was not in any way comparable to where it is now. And so obviously I feel a bit of a FOMO uh, and that I just missed that that boat. And I'm, I'm still young. I mean, not not too young, but I'm 31. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm still in great shape. Although my, my knees, I would definitely have to fix my knees a bit, um, with meniscus issues, but it's like, as if every day I think maybe one day I'll return, but then I just know at the end of the day, it's like, I, I understand that many of my teammates, former teammates on Columbia who play in Europe, you know, you're not making, you're not making a good paycheck. You're really doing this for the experience. Um, for now, I mean, the, it, you asked me the same question in five years from now, it won't be the same. You know, these women will be making a really great paycheck, a uh, deserved paycheck, but it's, it's really hard when you're getting paid a thousand, 2000, 3000, 4000, maybe max 5,000 a month. Um, so yeah, that was like one of the reasons why I just was, I was, I kind of needed to, to go into another career path. So, but yeah, I miss it. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. I and mean, that makes total sense. I, I know you were set to play for Columbia in the 2015 World Cup and you did your Achilles right before the tournament started. 
I can't imagine what that would be like to deal with psychologically, the injury itself, but also the timing so close to a World Cup. How did you try to get through it? So I tore my Achilles, like you said, five days before the Women's World Cup. Um, I'm, I was on the roster. We already left Colombia, went to Colorado to play friendlies, tore it. The day that my teammates flew up to Canada, I flew down to Florida to recover. And it was the most heartbreaking moment uh, of my life. Um, not only did I miss out on the World Cup, but I was also already rostered to play in the Pan American Games that my team did really, really well in that summer in Canada as well. And so those were the two last tournaments that were really on my bucket list that I wanted to play because I really played Central American Games. I played Copa America, uh, Olympics too. So that was like the last thing that I was like, you know, if I do this, I'll retire happily, <laughs> even if it's young and I have to move on uh, for monetary purposes. But it was, you know, during the time, yes, it was heartbreaking. I did go through like a, a depression for sure, um, especially the first month and two, because I, it's not like, you know, when you do a knee surgery, you go to the hospital, get surgery, you get out and you, you kind of start rehab pretty quickly. Well, with the Achilles, they told me I couldn't start rehab until like 40 days out. So I was literally at home watching the Women's World Cup from the couch um, trying to figure out what I'm also going to do with my life for the next year. Cause it's not like I had a club that was going to pay me, um, for that. So it was a lot to, to go through and a lot to handle, but I think it was a, it was a, a very, I guess these, this challenge really brought me to who I am today. You know, it made me really think about what I could do, uh, post my soccer playing career. Um, and the silver lining is it's crazy is that, I tore my Achilles and came down to Florida. And that same week, uh, I had met who was now my fiance. So it's pretty crazy how it worked out. And that week, that same week, he moved from San Juan, Puerto Rico to, to Florida. So I wouldn't have never have met him. You know, there's always, there's, things always happen for a reason. And believe me, to this day, there's days where I think about what, what could have happened, you know, if, if only I didn't get injured, if only I played in the World Cup, um, I had offers after that to play in Japan and things like that. So yeah, there are days where I have my days and, and to be completely honest, that are tough on me mentally. But then there are also days where I'm just like, <laughs> you have to see the, the bright side of it. And I'm so absolutely grateful, uh, weirdly, that it happened, you know? Yeah, I, I do think there's more talk today maybe than ever before about mental health and athletes and depression in athletes. And even in the news right now, obviously, is Naomi Osaka, the tennis player who just pulled out of the French Open, citing depression. It's connected also to the response and sort of controversy about she didn't want to speak to the press conferences saying that it impacted her mental health. French Open didn't handle it very well. Uh, now she's not playing in the tournament. And I, I guess I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts as someone who has played at a high level, someone who's in the media, what you think about press conferences and media obligations and forcing players to speak. You know, it's a very different situation than us, Grant, because... <laughs> That, you know, when I was playing, if press wanted to talk to us, we had to jump on it. 
You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. you needed to. And there's there were players on my team who didn't like it at all. Didn't like to speak to press, perhaps weren't good at it either and more camera shy or whatnot. And our our coaches and you know people, you know, team staff would say, you need to because this is what you need for exposure. This is what's gonna what is going to grow the women's game. So to compare my situation to hers is, is I can't, right? Because we had to jump on it, for, absolutely. Um, but to understand her point of view, I can try to because I can't imagine being in the spotlight 24-7 at such a young age. I mean, she's been, what, on the tour for how long? And she's only, I think, 23, 20, is she 23, 20? Something yeah. like early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. She's early 20s. So that's a lot to deal with on top of traveling, on top of training, on top of your pressure, on top of social media nowadays. We didn't have a, that as much back then. And you have so many trolls and it's a lot. So first and foremost comes the athlete, right? First and foremost. So if she doesn't want to do it, you have to respect it. Now, if this comes into something that is overly done and, and done and done and done again, then I there has to be a limit, right? There has to be a balance to everything. Um, and I think that's why she also stepped out of the, the tournament too, because it's also, you have to, you have to, this is how the game, this is how it functions, how it works. Press, sponsors, you know, there's so many different things that go on to make the sport the sport. And uh, I think we have to respect her, but at the same time, hopefully this isn't like an ongoing problem that I'll that many athletes will, will, will turn to do. I think she's coming from a good place, a good faith place. Like, I don't think what she's doing is cynical in any way, shape or form. And people I know who cover her regularly on the tennis tour say the same. So she's not, she wasn't trying to use this as some reason to skip out on media. Like she has a mental health issue quite clearly. She said it, she left the tournament. Um, you know, I've done this media stuff for a long time and, and I'll say like from my perspective as someone who asks questions at press conferences, like it's not an ideal situation for anybody, you know? I mean, yeah. like any journalist I know would rather be doing a one-on-one interview slash conversation like you and I are doing right now and having a real conversation. And the issue at these events is that... There's not enough time for the athlete to do that conversation with everybody. And you're, you know, the, the media is on deadline. They need, feel like they need something to, to help them write about what's going on and, and to cover the tournament. Um, but maybe there are some solutions. I hope we can kind of find some over time. I, I do think though, no athlete should ever be forced to speak to the media. I, I, like, I don't think anyone should be obligated to do an interview. Um, now I do think it's, it can be a mutually beneficial process, you know? Um, and certainly in sports that are, you know, like women's soccer or in the United States, men's soccer that are, you know, trying to build an audience, it can certainly help the more that the fans get to know the players, but there's also, you know, other ways of doing that. That's what social media is too. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, I think social media has, has its part now in the whole role of that, that access that you usually didn't get. Right. I, I mean, and you're someone who I think has used social media really well on your Instagram. You got a bazillion followers. 
um, and, and your Twitter. Um, I'm kind of curious to hear if you could like explain to listeners here what you've been doing since you stopped playing. It, and it seems like, <laughs> and we'll get into your coffee company here in a second because I'm interested in all of that. But like, and I, I just thought this is a, actually a terrible pun word to use, but you've been grinding for um, <laughs> for a while here uh, you know, since yeah. you stopped playing. What are some of the things you've been doing? Uh, grinding is definitely the word for sure. <laughs> grinding and, and hustling. Um, you know, when I stopped playing, I, I say this often that if you are a female footballer um, and you perhaps don't even come from the U.S. Women's National Team, or maybe before even you did come from the U.S. Not, U.S. Women's National Team, it's not an easy transition whatsoever. I mean, one thing, it's not an easy transition for any athlete, man or woman, right? Non-binary, however you want to put it. It's not easy yeah. whatsoever. But for a woman, for sure, it has its challenges um, because let's just say from my perspective, from my experience, I didn't all of a sudden have this big retirement and then my agent, come, an agent, come to me and be like, oh, here, you could do this or you could do this with your money or do this to make money or you can do, you know, get into broadcasting or start this business. Like you're just swimming on your own trying to figure out what is my identity? What am I going to do? But mostly what is going to make me happy? And also what we just spoke about was mental health, because that's something that we definitely all go through. Um, And so when I stopped playing I first moved back to Florida and I was a bit, I was, I was a bit overwhelmed, uh, with how my career went, you know, from my Achilles injury, um, to dealing with a lot of issues with the Colombian Federation and the national team. And since I knew I was barely going to make a paycheck playing professionally, um, like at a club, uh, either here or overseas, I just, I knew that my ultimate reason why I was playing was to represent Colombia and play in big tournaments. And so when I decided to step away, I moved back to Florida and I started working at my parents' business. Uh, they have a, a automotive repair shop. My dad was a mechanic um, and opened a, a business here in West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, 40 plus years ago. And so it was, it's a business that I grew up in and, and from washing cars to, I don't know, picking up customers, serving coffee in the, the guest area. And I, I came back and my mom right away was like, well, you know, if you need a job, always welcome, right? So I'm super grateful for my family for that. So I started getting, making my, my college degree useful, which uh, an undergrad in international business, and I got an MBA in, in marketing in my last year. And so I got into marketing and accounting uh, for the business. But then I was very, like, really depressed, actually, um, in early 2018. And I had a, had a bunch of breakdowns, and my mom came close to me, and she said, I don't think this is for you. I think you miss, you're missing an important part of something. And I don't like to see you happy. I love for you to work here, believe me. And I want you and your brothers to take over the business and whatever, mm. but I don't want to see you unhappy. So it was during that time, my fiance, we moved to, to New York City. He went to grad school and I said, I needed a new challenge. And I think what is missing, uh, the missing piece of my puzzle is soccer again. You know, that's it. I think this, I have to do something in the game, whether it's working for a club, whether it's working for a sports brand, something. So I remember doing a bunch of applications and crazily with my resume, I didn't get many responses. So (laughs) yeah, so I ended up saying, you know what? Social media is growing. There aren't women on, uh, in soccer and the soccer niche on social media. So 
I think this is a, a gap to really go at. And I think I was one of the first like soccer content creators on social media um, in 2018. Um you know, there's always been the freestylers and the talented uh, freestylers, but not in what what I was doing, which was like covering games, you know, showing small drills, just teaching, teaching really like educating people about what's going on in the world of soccer from Premier League to NWSL, etc. Uh, kicked off in Russia 2018, went to Russia. And then from there, brands started reaching out to me and I started mm-hmm. getting sponsored posts, you know, fly all over the U.S. covering MLS matches that were sponsored by uh, at the time, Alcatel and Cricket Wireless. And then, you know, I've worked with a large range of brands from them to, to Nike to BMW to a lot of a lot of cool brands right now, Michelob. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been quite the ride. Uh, a lot of learning experience, which led me to really, you know, work on my ultimate goal. I said, I'm going to do more on camera stuff on social media because who knows who may see it one day? It could be a producer at a network. I said that literally a few days ago. And if I get more reps and experience uh, on camera, then maybe it could lead to something else and to host or co-host or to analyze or something on TV. So like you said, it's been a grind. Um, If you live in New York, you know what the grind involves as well. It's not peaches and cream or sun and shine and palm trees like in Florida. It's a bit different, um, but it's been an absolute blast just working hard. And I'm from an immigrant family and I just it's it's also just taught me a lot as well. and I feel like I'm just an entrepreneur at, ha- at heart, too. So let me ask you about your coffee company because I've tried it. It's awesome. Uh, and <laughs> it's something that you've started, what, over the last year or so, right? How, how did it get started? Yeah, it's, just, it's crazy. If you would asked me a year ago, I would one day have a coffee company. I'd be like, you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, during the pandemic, this was the middle of it, like June, um, I spent my time in, in New York during the beginning of the pandemic. And then I was like, get me out of this, like, you know, 200 square foot apartment as soon as I could travel and feel safe to at least and get tested and everything to come down to yeah. Florida to be with my family. So I did all those protocols. And when I was down here, my brother came to me one day randomly. And my brother is is so intelligent. He always has these crazy ideas. So I'm always like, uh-huh, uh-huh, cool, yeah. And so he came to me with this idea. He goes, what about a coffee company around soccer? And I straight up looked at him just like in the eye as if there was like a matrix going on all around me and numbers going through my head and like, I don't know, designs and sales and coffee, so many things. And I just burst it out right there. Like I'm in, (laughs) like literally that was it. And so my brother, uh, his name is Christian. And then his fiance, uh, Rasha, her name is the three of us co-founded kickoff coffee company. So it's been a straight on sprint since July of 2020, um, to launch it by January, late January of 2021. Um, Mm -hmm exactly what it is. What you said is a coffee, coffee for soccer people by soccer people. Now, what we realized was that we all, you know, many of us soccer fans watch soccer early in the morning. You know, you're watching Premier League, we're watching even La Liga, which is usually later morning or early afternoons. Um, I don't know, French League, anything, anything, right? And all these European matches are, are put on in the morning. And we saw that there was a lot of also organic content around coffee, uh, but there was never a brand attached. And so it all just made so much sense for us when we really started researching niched coffee brands in its perspective niches. 
um, and how great and loyal um, and successful they become. And for us, it makes more than sense because we're Colombian and (laughs) coffee has always been part of our culture. Um, and we've always loved great quality coffee. So that's exactly what we do. Um, we roast specialty great, uh, coffee. So coffee has a, a coffee scale, um, uh, from zero to a hundred and all of our coffee is 84 points and up. So that grades it as specialty, uh, quality coffee. Um, and so right now we have, we're about to launch our third bag and nice. yeah, and all the designs are around, you know, soccer uh, stories. So our main goal, we have two goals. One goal is to um, bridge the two cultures of soccer and coffee together. And then our other one um, is our, our mission, which is we donate 10% of our coffee profits to foundations and social organizations around the world that utilize soccer as a tool for social development. So it's been, it's been, it's been so, so crazy, Grant, like over the past months, just balancing obviously our lives and and our life. And it's been amazing. Also, we've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of attention. We did already a corporate gifting with the MLS. We're talking to another few leagues right now. Uh, And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I think there's so much potential and I'm ultimately just grateful for like all the support that we have received, not only from you, but from other people, journalists, uh, social media influencers, players, etc. So it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been crazy, but it's been awesome. <laughs> well, congrats with everything you're doing with it, because uh, you are doing a lot, but it, it, it's really impressive. Um, got just a couple of more questions here with Melissa Ortiz. Really appreciate you taking this much time. Um, I wanted to ask you about something you alluded to earlier. You've been very vocal in speaking out to improve conditions for women's players in Colombia and on the Colombian national team. What have the biggest issues been in your opinion and and where where are we on these topics right now? Yeah, a lot of issues with the Colombian women's national team. Um, in 2019, my teammate and I, um, Isabella Echeverri, we posted a video on social media. Uh, it was a one minuter, but we spoke about the truths, the truths of what they were doing to us for so many years, which, for example, would be like not getting paid or us having to pay for our flights sometimes to go to camp, um, getting used uniforms, etc., etc. And that video went viral, completely viral, and uh, which then our people, uh, the Federation didn't accept it. They called us names. They called us uh, gossipers and liars, but they had no idea that we had so much proof, so much proof. And so we worked alongside uh, Acol Foot Pro, Pro, which is um, the Colombian um, Players Union, which is linked to FIF Pro. Um, and they flew us into Bogota, Colombia right after that, which our par- her parents, my parents, they were very nervous about because it's a dangerous situation to deal with powerhouse soccer people in Colombia. And I was just like, we, we didn't have any fear going in, which is crazy. I guess it's part of like being young, <laughs> but, uh, we flew in, they, we had a, a press conference, live television. We walked into this conference room. There's like literally like 50 cameras. It was insane. And then that morning we had about 15 of our teammates on the national team and who played pro in the women's league um, support us and stand right behind us without us even knowing we, when we got there, like, wow, this is incredible. So long story short, um, that opened the discussion and, and 
it proved that we had proof. We had testimonies of how we were gonna, being treated. Uh, we had audios saved of the vice president of the Federation saying things that he shouldn't have been saying. And we had literally audios recorded from meetings. Um, <clears throat> so what happened was that the Federation at the time reinstated pay uh, during a time where there weren't any soccer camps whatsoever or trainings then like within the next month they called in a soccer uh, training camp which crazily when Isa and I thought we would never be called back to the national team like we already accepted it uh we got called back and <laughs> and so she went on to play and then she went on to play in the Pan American Games which we received gold medal I decided not to play in that tournament uh for my own personal reasons as well as my knee just wasn't is still not the best um and so currently there have been more camps, right? There have been more, there has been more support of the women's national team. There has even been more coverage by the Colombian, by the Federation on social media. You know, you'll see pictures of the, the women's players and um, you'll even see like happy birthday shout outs, which is like, wow, this is amazing, <laughs> you know? Um, but in terms of pay, the pay is still very, very low. Um, I think it's right now at $30 a day where it was at $20 a day, something like that. Um, there, this, the coach is still the same coach as from many years ago, which we were trying to get a, kind of trying to get, you know, an international coach to come in, uh, with a different eye. Um, but that, that still hasn't happened. We lost the world cup bid, which we were bidding for, uh, for the next world cup, which I don't think Colombia was deserving of it whatsoever. So there's a lot of things, uh, still a lot of issues, still a lot needs to be done, but I'm very much still uh, vocal about it and still part of it. We have a few of us that are, um, you know, very connected and we'll, we have, you know, a, a communication with one, the press in Colombia, and also two now more with the Federation. Um, and then the other last part of it all is the Colombian Women's Pro League. So when we did this, when we did this whole battle and this fight back in 2019, they weren't going to continue it. So we fought for it as well, uh, which then they reinstated the pro league. It was only like three months long. It continued this past year in 2020. It was only like, I think, uh, six weeks long. It's like nothing. Um, understanding the, the pandemic too, but it's, it's, uh, Colombian football and like the D Mayor, which is the league, uh, men's as well. It's not the best organized, um, logistically nor, uh, monetarily, you know, the money mm. is, the money is a whole nother subject area. And I think that there just needs to be, there needs to be, there needs to be audits. There needs to be audits, but you know, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I mean, just looking ahead, like what, what do you want to be doing in, you know, work-wise in two years, three years, five years? I'd love to keep on having these opportunities broadcasting-wise. Let's just say this Fubo TV as my debut, uh, my, de my debut game um, is going to, it's going to teach me a lot, not just about me as a, as a potential broadcaster, but my knowledge and see where this could take me in the next upcoming years. You know, I try not to stress about it, but I think it's a big moment uh, to really see if this is also something that I love to continue to do um, in the long term. But I also see a mix of that. I see continue what I'm doing on social media, working with brands to broadcasting, but also to bring kickoff, kickoff coffee company uh, to be a 
the go-to soccer coffee brand, not only in the U.S. by 2026, but also globally. You know, soccer is the global game. It's a beautiful game of the world. And there's so much potential that we can reach with this coffee brand. So that's something that we're working on to help expand this internationally and trying to bring on advisors right now. So a lot, a lot going on. Um, I think that the you know, the sky is, is there, there, there's no, there's no height for this. You know, I could go many different ways, thankfully. Um, and with the support of, of my, my inner circle, but I have a lot of moving parts and I just try to stay grounded and like humble and not stress out about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. Uh, where can people find you on social media? My Instagram is at Melissa Ortiz five. That's Melissa with two S's. Melissa Ortiz 5. Uh, I believe my Twitter is the same. I'm not exactly sure. I think so. And then, of course, uh, Kickoff Coffee Company is at Kickoff Coffee Co. Um, and then our website is kickoffcoffeeco.com. And we actually, we could we could set up a, a nice discount code as well for, for your listeners, if you like. Nice. That code is football with grant one five football spelled F U T B O L. And you get 15% off all coffee. I've tried it. It's awesome. I'm excited for your third bag to come out. I've tried the other two. Um, and just really happy for you and in everything you're doing these days. Um, Melissa Ortiz is an analyst for Fubo TV's exclusive U.S. broadcast of the South American Men's World Cup qualifiers. Quadruple header on Thursday, a couple more match days uh, this stretch before the Copa America. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Melissa Ortiz as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.